Good morning again. <clears throat> if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 2, verses 21 through 40 will be our reading at the moment, though I'll really be focusing in the sermon on 21 through 35, a little bit shorter of a section. <clears throat> Before we read that together, will you pray with me? Oh, our Father, we do come to see more fully uh, Jesus, the, the babe, the son of Mary. Uh, we come to see more fully uh, the one whom you sent into the world uh, to be our king, to be our Messiah, uh, to fight our battles, to, to rule over us, to protect us, to care for us, to lead us, to guide us. Father, give us a clear sight of Jesus this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 2, uh, beginning with verse 21. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given him by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed." And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at the very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. If you weren't a part of this world, would you come? That is, if you had never known pain or suffering or trouble or abuse, would you step in? 
Would you subject yourself to all of that and more? You know, this is uh, Christmas Eve, right? And at Christmas time, we celebrate the coming of Jesus into the world. And this morning, we're going to look particularly uh, at, at why Jesus comes. And uh, from one perspective, everything Jesus comes to do, he does for the Father, right? Jesus himself says that he comes not to do his own will, but the will of the one who sent him. Uh, from another perspective, you could say everything Jesus does, he comes to do uh, for the glory of God, right? for the glory of the triune God. Luke 2.14, a verse we know well at Christmas, glory to God in the highest. But from yet another perspective, as we look at the scriptures, we see that uh, everything Jesus comes to do, he does for us. He comes to seek and save the lost. He says, Luke 19, 10, he comes not for the righteous, but uh, to call sinners to repentance. Luke 4, 32, he comes that we might have life and that we might have it abundantly. John 10, 10, Jesus comes and lives and dies and rises for us. And in our text this morning, we're going to look at the story of Jesus as it overlaps with the story of a man named Simeon. Uh, the baby Jesus is brought into the temple for purification and for dedication, and uh, Simeon is already there in the temple waiting and watching for the consolation of Israel, waiting for God to fulfill his promises. And the moment he sees the baby Jesus, he knows that this is him. And he, he responds by first blessing God or praising God, and then by blessing Joseph and Mary. And in the midst of this story, we learn uh, six things that Jesus comes to do for us. Six is a lot, I know, but we'll, we'll go quickly. Six things. Uh, you can see them, I think, listed on the back of your bulletin. Uh, there's the outline there. And uh, Jesus comes uh, to enter our humanity, to keep God's law, to fulfill God's promises, to satisfy our longing, to bring us peace, and to reveal our hearts. Jesus comes into our world really to do for us what we could not do for ourselves, right? He comes to bring us hope in the midst of our trouble. So first, Jesus comes to enter our humanity. You know, it's easy to believe that God is distant. You know, we, we often feel alone, maybe especially at Christmas time. Uh, we feel that God doesn't care, uh, that he's not at work. Uh, and we tend to interpret life in light of our feelings, right? So if I feel alone, therefore I must be alone. Or if I feel like God doesn't care, therefore God must not care. But uh, the baby in the manger really is the, the symbol that our feelings are lying to us, that God has come, that he is with us, that we are not alone. You know, we read earlier in Luke that Jesus uh, was God in the flesh. Uh, Jesus, you, if you know the story, you know, had no earthly father. Uh, Mary says she had not known a man, uh, but the power of the Holy Spirit came upon her, and the child in her womb was called the Son of God. Luke 1.35. And the mystery of the incarnation is that God, who often seems to us distant, draws distinctly near in the person of Jesus. Verses 21 to 24 show this coming near. When Jesus was just eight days old, uh, he was circumcised. 
He has to take on the sign of the covenant that God gave to Israel. But it was also a sign of the purification of the heart. Now, Jesus' heart needed no purifying, but he came to become like us, to identify with us in our brokenness. Jesus' mother, uh, Mary, required purification. Why? Because his birth made her unclean under the law of Moses. The sacrifice that they offered was the offering of the poor. There were multiple possible sacrifices they could have offered, but they offered, uh, Mary and Joseph offered what was required of the economically downtrodden. The poorest of the poor could offer this. So Jesus not only entered into our humanity and entered into our uncleanness, he entered into our poverty as well. Jesus came to be with us, to experience all that we experience, not just to be born, but to experience poverty, Uh, not just to know poverty, but ultimately to know pain, not just pain, but suffering, not just suffering, but to die with us, even to die for us. I don't know what you're going through this morning. Uh, Christmas time, again, is often a time of year of great sadness for many. Why is that? Because people begin to think about what they don't have at Christmas, right? We don't have family or we don't have friends or we feel alone more than ever. But it's sad because the message of Christmas really is just the opposite of that. Jesus has come to experience our trouble, that you are not alone, that God is with us, Emmanuel. There is nothing in our experience, whatever we might be going through, that Jesus has not in some way experienced first. He was rejected by his family. He was abused by the authorities. He, was, he suffered hunger and poverty. He knew homelessness and pain. He was betrayed by one of his best friends. He was abandoned by the rest of them. He was misunderstood and mocked and ridiculed and stripped and beaten and pierced and suffocated and buried. What do we experience that he has not experienced? He was forsaken by the Father, something which, as long as we enjoy breath, is not yet true of us. God the Father himself turned his back on the Son, on the cross, for us. As long as we wake and work and eat and drink and sleep and breathe, that that is not true of us. The Father has not yet forsaken you. Jesus not only experienced all the trouble we have in some form, he experienced more at the cross. So Jesus comes to enter into our humanity, to enter into our experience. And yet there's more than that. He also comes to keep God's law. You know, we see that again in verses 21 to 24, this detailed obedience to the law, uh, circumcision on the eighth day, purification according to Leviticus, dedication of the firstborn, and our eyes tend to glaze over at this kind of thing, right? But Luke includes all these details. Why would he do that? Well, Galatians 4 tells us that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. See, Jesus came, born of a woman, born under the law of Moses, to redeem us, to redeem us who were under the law, under God's law. So he entered into our experience, not only in in becoming a human being, but in taking the requirements of God's law on himself for us. 
And we only really see just a little glimpse of that here. Jesus comes to fulfill the law on our behalf, to satisfy its commands of obedience. Mary and Joseph begin to do that for him as a baby. He lives the rest of his life perfectly obeying the Father. But he also comes to satisfy the law's penalty for our disobedience when he bears our sin at the cross. So Jesus comes to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. He comes to obey God fully on our behalf, and he comes to suffer the law's penalty fully on our behalf. He obeys for us, he suffers for us. Jesus comes entering into our situation, identifying with us, doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Third, Jesus comes to fulfill God's promises. Now this uh, point will also be brief because it's going to be spelled out really in the next three points, but it needs to be mentioned up front that that Jesus comes to fulfill the promises of God. The language that Luke uses in verses 25 to 35 are just loaded with echoes of Isaiah. Uh, the language of consolation, the language of comfort, the language of peace, the language of salvation, uh, the language of God's presence and light and revelation and glory. And we read uh, a number, we've read a number of passages from Isaiah throughout our service, but let me just remind you of a couple of verses. Uh, Isaiah 40, verse 1, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Isaiah 49, 6, I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Isaiah 52.10, the Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. And you can see all of that in Simeon's praise when he says that his eyes had seen God's salvation. When he says that a light for revelation to the Gentiles has come and glory for the people Israel. He's echoing Isaiah. He's saying God has fulfilled his promises. You know, sometimes we think that uh, God did his thing in the Old Testament, but that didn't work, and so he sent Jesus to do something else, to kind of start from scratch, start over. You know, the Old Testament is, well, old, right? And the New Testament, we think, is what really matters. But everything in the Old Testament is leading us forward to Jesus. Jesus comes not to replace the Old Testament, but to fulfill it, to keep the promises of God, to, to, to bring the story to its climax. And if we don't understand the old, which gives us the, the categories in which to understand the work of Jesus, which gives us the narrative that leads up to the coming of Christ, we're not going to fully understand the work of Jesus. So as we read through the Old Testament, particularly Isaiah, uh, which Luke is heavily relying on, uh, we see a myriad of promises, right? We see promises of restoration, promises of glory and light, promises of a servant who will come to save God's people, promises of sin forgiven and warfare ended, promises nothing short of a new creation. And that's what Jesus came to do. He came to be the Lord who is the servant, who bears sin, who ends trouble and begins a new creation. Jesus comes to to enter our humanity, to keep God's law and to fulfill God's promises. Fourth, Jesus comes to satisfy our longing. Now, uh, we are filled with longing. Brian mentioned that a little bit earlier before his prayer. And uh, if we didn't long, most advertising wouldn't work, right? It would just fall flat. Uh, If we didn't long, Christmas would not be the retail holy day that it is. We long. 
We long for companionship and meaning. We long for happiness and security. We long for health and strength and beauty. We long for freedom and respect. We long for family. Sometimes we just long for a full belly, but we long. There is a fullness to life for which we long. Sometimes we don't notice that because we are so busy trying to fill that void with stuff. But stuff, of course, is not the same as happiness. Uh, Facebook friends are not the same as companionship. And so the busyness of life, no matter what we're doing, no matter how we're trying to fill the void, it doesn't take away our longing for the fullness of life. Our life might be filled without being full. And the reason we long, of course, is because we lack. We lack that fullness. We, we don't have it. There, there's something missing. In fact, you know, oftentimes we have the opposite of fullness. Uh, we have not companionship but loneliness. We have not meaning but confusion. We have not happiness but sadness. We have not security but danger and fear. We have not health but pain. Not strength but weakness. Not freedom but addiction. Not respect but shame. Not family, but enemies. Not fullness, but hunger and emptiness and want. And so we long. And this longing is captured in Simeon. It's captured in Simeon and the watching and waiting of Israel. Look at at verse 25. We're told, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Simeon was waiting, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Why did Israel need consoling? Why did they need to be comforted? They had these glorious promises, right? Uh, some, some we just mentioned, but we could mention more, right? A king who would reign forever, a name above the nations, that God would be their God and they would be his people. Glorious promises but often horrible experiences. Uh, You you may remember the line uh, from Fiddler on the Roof. uh, After receiving some bad news, uh, I think the character's name is Tevia, right? He says, says, I know, I know, we are the chosen people, but once in a while, can't you choose someone else? (laughs) And his point is this, that, that God's promises don't often match Israel's experience. Great promises, amazing promises, but they're, they're given in the midst of suffering and trial and trouble. Israel was a nation full of troubles and pain. They were oppressed and attacked, bullied, mocked, defeated, and exiled. In Simeon's day, they lived with no king, at least not a king that God had set up, no kingdom of Israel to speak of, existing under the boot of Roman rule. They longed for consolation. They longed for comfort. They longed for God to step in and make things right. And it's right there that the promises of Isaiah spoke. Isaiah 40, 1-2, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Isaiah 49 through 11, go up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. That's the coming of Jesus. Jesus. 
Behold your God. The Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. We don't see it, not in the manger. We don't even fully see it in the cross. We see it in the resurrection when Jesus defeats death and rises from the dead. God comes to bring comfort and consolation to those who wait, to those who long. And those promises, those promises in Isaiah, those promises gave hope to Simeon. The promises fueled his longing. God is going to do something. I just know it. He's promised. He keeps his word. The promises kept Israel from despair in the midst of their trouble. And there's something inside all of us, I think, wanting and waiting and longing and wishing and hoping for something else, something more. Sometimes hope dies and despair does set in. But even despair is a kind of longing, isn't it? It's a wanting, a wishing that things were different, but they're not. Jesus comes to satisfy that longing. He doesn't come to placate our every desire, right? He doesn't come to make me happy the way I want to be happy. He doesn't come to ensure that I get just the right gift under the tree on Christmas morning. Uh, He's not a divine Santa Claus in the sky. He, He doesn't come to make my every wish and whim come true. But he does come to fulfill his promises. And he does come to satisfy our longing. And he does come to fulfill the desire that is really underneath every desire. See, whatever desires you might have, the desire underneath The desire is a desire for God that is being misdirected to the world. Uh, That's part of sin, right? When we look to the world to give what only God can give. It's one of Satan's lies that life can be found in the world. And so we pursue life in the world. We pursue satisfaction in the world and fulfillment in the world. But our attempts to satisfy our longing are like attempts to fill a deep well with thimbles full of helium. Or Jeremiah compares it to forsaking God, the fountain of living water, and trying to drink from a broken cistern that can hold no water. See, we spend our lives drinking from empty wells, but only God can satisfy. Our hearts long not ultimately for the world, and so the world can never satisfy that longing. Our hearts long not for the world, but for God. And our desires then are often misplaced and misdirected and misoriented focused on what our eyes can see. We must repent of that, repent of looking to the world to give what only God can really give. We must turn to Jesus who comes to bring the consolation of Israel. Jesus comes to console us in our pain and trouble. And he does that by bringing peace. This is point five. You know, we've seen again and again that that strife and trouble characterize this life. Jesus comes to bring peace on earth. We know that's the message of Christmas, right? That's that even if everything else is lost, oftentimes greeting cards will talk about peace on earth. And I'm not sure how much Simeon understood what Jesus came to do, but he got this much, right? That Jesus would bring peace. Simeon is in the temple when Mary and Joseph bring in Jesus, and he, he clearly guided by the Holy Spirit, he takes Jesus up in his arms, and he, he blesses God in verse 29. And he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Now, when Simeon mentions peace, we tend to read something subjective, like Simeon felt peaceful. 
but when the Bible speaks about peace, more often than not, it's actually talking about something objective, something concrete, that God through Jesus was bringing peace real objective peace in the world and what was the peace that Simeon was waiting for what was what was the peace that he knew had arrived in the coming of this baby Simeon was waiting to see the Lord's Christ verse 26 the Messiah the King of Israel who would come and put things right Simeon was waiting for God to raise up a new king a king of Israel who would bring peace you know peace peace is when war is over and enemies are no more that's peace Either the enemies have been defeated or reconciliation has taken place, but either way, peace is the result. Simeon is waiting for a king of Israel who will bring salvation, verse 30. He echoes there Isaiah chapter 40, verse 5, which in the old Greek version of the Bible said, And the glory of the Lord shall appear. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God, for the Lord has spoken it. And Simeon says, now I have seen your salvation. The fulfillment of the promises has come. The long-awaited consolation has come in the baby Jesus. The salvation of God has come. When he saw Jesus, he knew by the power of the Spirit, this is him. Verse 26 uh, uh, tells us about Simeon. It was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And then verses 29 and 30. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. The Messiah had finally come. And this salvation would not just be for Israel. Already Simeon knew that. You know, the disciples are still trying to figure that out in the book of Acts. Simeon gets it right here in Luke chapter 2. He says that Jesus, according to verse 32, would be a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. How did Simeon know that? Again, he's reflecting on Isaiah. Isaiah 49. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Or Isaiah 60, verse 1, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has arisen upon you. See, God has done what he promised. He sent Jesus to be a light for the nations, to the ends of the earth, and glory for Israel. Now, you got to wonder, how much did Simeon get, right? Did he understand how Jesus would bring all this about? I don't know, right? We don't know. He certainly could have. Why? Because the same scripture that proclaims that God would make Jesus a light for uh, the nations also said this of the Lord's servant in Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Peter echoes this uh, elsewhere in the New Testament, 1 Peter 2. He says, 
Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. See, what both of those passages say is that all we like sheep had gone astray, but God laid our sin on Jesus. This is the real peace, right? Peace with God. It's not first and foremost that our enemies have been defeated. It's that we were the enemy, the enemy of God. Romans 5.10 says, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. When we look to Jesus, our sin is removed. We are, we are justified. That just means we're declared right with God. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, it's this peace with God that can lead to peace in the world. Right? Once our relationship to the Father is put right, the whole world can be put right. You might think, though, well, that's all well and good, but the world is not right. The world is still terribly wrong. And here's what's interesting about Simeon, right? Simeon takes the baby Jesus up in his arms, and Israel is still enslaved. They're still under Roman rule. They're still oppressed as a people. But with just the baby in his arms, Simeon can say, verse 29, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. Why? Simeon can see. He can see what God is doing. He, he doesn't have to wait for the outcome. He, he doesn't have to, to, to have God fix everything now. He, he sees the shoot coming up out of the ground. He doesn't have to wait for the fruit. And of course, we see much more than Simeon, don't we? Uh, we see Jesus risen from the dead. Death has been undone. The new creation has already broken in. We see one who was put to death for sin entering into peace with God in the resurrection. And we know that we in him have peace with God. That is the gospel. Jesus has risen, and we in him have peace with God. And we'll enjoy that fully in the resurrection on the last day. And so we too, like Simeon, live watching and waiting. We too, like Simeon, have the promises of God, of the return of Jesus and the new creation to come. And so we too, like Simeon, live in hope knowing we presently have peace with God and that one day Jesus will return and put everything right. So Jesus comes to enter our humanity, to keep God's law, to fulfill God's promises, to satisfy our longing, to bring us peace, and finally Jesus comes to reveal our hearts. You know, for some people, as they listen to the gospel, they think, oh, that's just too good to be true that God would make everything right. Others, though, hear it and think, no, this doesn't sound good at all, actually. Uh, a king? No, that's not something I've signed up for. Uh, we, we don't want God's salvation. We don't want God to save us. Not if that means giving up our autonomy. Not if that means I have to submit to a king. Uh, not if that means somebody else is going to tell me right and wrong. We value our imagined, sometimes, freedom above our own well-being. We're not going to let anybody take that from us, not even God. Which brings us uh, to the last few verses in this section that we're looking at, verses 34 to 35, which say this. Simeon blesses Joseph and Mary and says to Mary, Jesus' mother, Behold, this child is anointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. 
and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. You know, Jesus is God, come in human skin to bring peace, to remove sin and restore us to our Father. But many have opposed him. They thought that the cost was too great. Some respond to Jesus in humility and faith, humility and faith, others in pride and unbelief. Some see Jesus and stumble. Others learn to walk for the first time. Either way, seeing Jesus reveals our hearts. Or maybe more specifically, our response to Jesus reveals our hearts. In John 9, 39, Jesus says, For judgment I came into the world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Or Luke 12, Jesus says, Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? And of course we answer at Christmas time, yes, right? That's what you did. You came to bring peace on earth. Here's what Jesus says. Do you think that I have come to bring peace on earth? No. I tell you, but rather division. For from now on in one house there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. See, the peace that Jesus brings comes at a cost. And ironically, it's a peace that brings division. See, there's no such thing as peace without cost. Uh, That's the kind of peace we want, right? We want everything to be easy, right? Just make it easy. Give me peace, and then I can move on. But to have peace, we must lay down our arms. We must give up our rights. We must acknowledge our rebellion. We must confess our sin. We must cease our self-gratification. We must lay aside our reputation and be honest about our weakness. For many, that kind of peace is just too costly, We we don't want to give up the love of self, right? We don't want to give up our service of self. We don't want to give up boasting in self and gratifying self and relying on self. Hence, Jesus says, some rise, but others fall. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Which are you? Do you feel the need to cling to your own goodness, your own happiness, your own agenda, your own strength? Jesus says, if we seek to save our lives we will lose them. But if you lose your life for Jesus' sake, then you will find it. Jesus came to identify with us in our trouble, to obey God's law in our place, to bring fulfillment of God's promises by reconciling us to the Father, bringing objective peace and subjective satisfaction as we uh, are drawn back to the only one who can truly satisfy our hearts. Do you see what Simeon saw? Jesus came to identify with us. Will will you identify with him? Uh, Jesus came to obey in our place. Will you acknowledge your own disobedience and cling to his obedience in your stead? Jesus came to fulfill God's promises as the Messiah. Will you now serve him as your king? He came to bring peace and a division. Will you give up your right, your claim to goodness and happiness and satisfaction in this life and receive the peace with God that Jesus offers? It is costly, but it is worth it. Let's pray. Our Father, we we are in awe of what Jesus paid for our forgiveness, what he paid for peace with you. 
Help us to cling to Jesus with our whole hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.